Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by uh, Matija Lukic, who's a software engineering manager at a company called Workera. Now, there's a lot of talk at the moment around large language models, deep learning, and these guys and girls are a skills intelligence platform which helps enterprise companies really assess and upskill their workforce. Matia, yeah, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Hey, Alex. nice to meet you. Doing good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm always good. Yeah, I'm always good. For the audience, do you want to give us an intro into who Matia is, and also after that, if you like the elevator pitch on who work here are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for the thanks for the uh, opportunity to uh, to have a chat and to share also what we're doing at Workera. Um, I'm Matija Lukic. Um, by all my, I would say, education and, and heart, I'm a software engineer. Um, and well, my path has taken me through working as a backend engineer for a number of years in a fintech uh, company first, uh, where I come from, in, in, from Serbia. Uh, but then later on, I kind of moved to the Netherlands for studies, um, then started working as an embedded software engineer actually in a very large semiconductor company here in the south of the country. Very fun times, um, very uh, large scale challenges, I would say. Um, and then one thing led to another and uh, well, I, I moved uh, a bit in the Netherlands and then I uh, joined another fintech company where actually I switched over to being a fully front-end engineer. So like I, I felt like I was seeing a many different parts of, uh, of, of the, the stack uh, where engineers are exposed to. Um, but then joining, um, jo I joined Workera about a little bit more than a year ago as an engineering manager. So already uh, for, uh, for a few years uh, in, in that role more, uh, switching over from just being a software engineer to uh, leading the, and coaching the teams. And as an engineering manager in Workera, I, um, well, it's, I would say, well, I don't, I don't know if I would say it's a typical thing what an engineering manager would do, because I think it depends from a role to role, from a company to company. Um, but I, um, I, I basically take care of the, the roadmap together with my partners from product, um, take care of the team and the way how we work internally and also with other teams and also providing quite a lot of support for individual growth paths and individual growth of, of people. And uh, actually being in, in Workera, it's also uh, a very reflective experience for me as well of how am I as an engineering manager because I think Workera is one of the, the products that is actually very highly targeting uh, engine managers or, or uh, yeah, people managers in general. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of my, my path that took me here. Yeah, going back to some of your roots, what do you think the biggest, let's say shift has been in moving from an embedded engineer yeah. to let's say an application engineer or product engineer what do you think has been the biggest shift or biggest challenge for you yeah. on that journey? Yeah, a lot, quite a lot of people react like, uh, oh, wow, you went from uh, embedded in uh, C++ all directly into uh, React and all that. Um, I think the, the technological pace is a bit different. Um, and also how much freedom you have to move fast. And I'm not, not talking here so much about the freedom of organization because that's always different, but like how 
the how much does technology or your technical environment allow you to go fast if you're making something that is an embedded piece of software you're naturally bound to the machine or the piece of hardware that this embedded piece of software will be running on so a lot of things were tied into this cycle of when are we actually releasing a new machine because a new machine would come in a new package and the way that we would win deals was by let's win the factory space as we would say uh, place the machine there and once it's there then we can iterate on the software but we really need to get the machine with the basic package there um, so that was a very interesting interesting time and it brings a bit of a different dynamic and also it's a little bit different from the um, from the industry that you're also in because I was semiconductor and the, the next one that I worked in as a front-end engineer was uh, fintech pure software product so you can kind of understand the full thing and reason about the full thing and once you're working in a high-tech uh, semiconductor company, like there are some kind of optics or uh, research physics concepts that are sometimes, at least for me, like a, a few steps ahead and I, I could really understand everything. So it was also like how, how complex the products can be and how much of domain knowledge can you grasp just as an engineer in one, one part. Uh, and that actual transition how did that transition happen? And what I mean by that is, was that a combination of self-learning to yeah. learn more about front-end engineering to then deliberately move into that or any yeah. other reason? It was, uh, I think it was much more uh, pragmatic. Um, with my, today, my wife, we decided to move and uh, commuting was too much. Uh, so it was really driven by pragmatism. Um, um, also, every time that we make a choice in life, it's a choice for work. It's also impacting our personal life. And I simply was looking for a different balance. And I, I found the front-end engineering in that aspect very appealing because I felt that while working on the front-end, the fruits of the, like the, the thing that you create is very visual and very much in your face. And it's directly exposing your work to the people that will be using it, the users, to the stakeholders, like the, the UI is the first thing that you see and the people re that, that people are faced with. Um, so that's something that I was sometimes a bit missing in the embedded software, uh, in, in being an embedded uh, software engineer, because you're a bit removed. The thing that people interact with is then your machine and then you kind of control the machine. And really that was open me, opening me up to think more about the product, to be really much more product minded and to kind of upskill myself also about user experience and just product, I would say, management in general, all from the point of view of being a software engineer, but it's still good to kind of uh, know what your side companion disciplines are working on. Yeah, the realization of the impact can be felt that little bit more, Yeah, I guess, um, yeah. just because it's a lot more visual. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to get to know you a little bit better. Give us your best sell on who work here are. Yeah, I think uh, there might be my colleagues from sales or, or customer success that might be a best sell, but uh, I'll give it my fair shot. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Workera is, um, let's say, uh, it's a AI platform that um, allows, at the moment, it allows enterprises to transform, upskill their workforces. Um, if I, I like to always make analogies. So back in, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so, you st started having like digital transformations, right? You had, you had waves of businesses that started to become more digitalized. Then about 
10 to five years ago or so is the boom of, of big data. And then that was like early 2010s. A lot of people want to be more data driven because acquiring data was kind of getting easier and easier. Right? Just uh, speaking, coming back to that uh, example from semiconductor, like we would get gigabytes and gigabytes of data for each machine. What is it doing every 100 milliseconds? And we will be able to track it and reason about it. So on, on, on that note, um, the, the thing that we are trying to enable, that we are actually enabling with enterprises is uh, becoming more, say, skills data driven when you're thinking about your workforce. So instead of being having only gut feelings, um, being able to precisely measure what people's skills are and then provide them with a personalized, precise experience to upskill themselves and paths how they can grow, that's the, the, the niche that we are addressing. Um, we also see that many of the, the leaders in that space that are um, transformation leaders um, in, in terms of upskilling or, or changing the workforce or upskilling the workforce, um, the, the working with so much granular data and how to reason about the data, that's kind of new th the thing for them. Uh, if you're a business analyst, like maybe working with a lot of data, that's, that's kind of natural and you know how to reason about it, but then translating that to how do I upskill my workforce? Um, that is also the, the coaching and the advising that we're also giving to these, uh, these customers. So how do I first obtain the skill, uh, skill data? And then how do I use it to the best advantage for my own company, for the strategic goals that I have? And usually these companies are, um, that, that we're interacting are uh, ones that want to catch up with the technological landscape because there have been quite a lot of, uh, well, just to name the AI developments that were going on. Um, and people want to be, or the companies want to be ready for the future. And that's where we're helping them transform their, their workforce. Okay. What data are you actually capturing for enterprises and how are you actually capturing that data? Yeah, that's a very uh, interesting question. That's a fascinating part for me about uh, Workera. Um, what, what we are having is a number of very precise measurements that it's, that's, I would just call them kind of tests, we call them assessments uh, that people can do and that are allowing on a very gra uh, granular uh, level to uh, spot and then show later to the learners uh, what skills are strong skills and what skills need improvements. And then when they say skill, I don't mean like just to talk say a little bit about the order of what the skill is. A skill is not a, a Python. That's not a skill. That's a full domain. And then within that, it, uh, a skill, within that Python domain, there might be 70, 80, 100 skills. One of them, which, which would be um, debugging Python applications. And that is a concrete skill on which we can give advice and learning also very precise learning. Um, and what we, how we actually do that is, well, what I said, these kind of um, assessments and to make this experience very engaging, we're using machine learning models to make inference about things that you know. Because if you have 80 things, maybe we don't need to measure all the 80 things, maybe actually based on the data that we have, by measuring 15 of them, we can infer what are all the other things that you know. Because just to make it a really uh, um, kind of a fundamental example, um, if we test you and you know about um, division, you probably know about multiplication. We don't need to ask you about that. So by, run, by having a lot of data of how people assess, um, we actually get um, enough knowledge internal, like knowledge within our machine learning models 
um, to infer and to for you to have a better user experience. Okay. So before we go on to talking about large language models and how they're actually used, I think it's fair to say, you know, self-learning models or deep learning models, they're quite key and quite critical to actually the business offering of Workera, really, yeah. and offering that to your customers. Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. Um, I think that the whole uh, uh, industry is now going in a direction where every uh, little part of the platform you will be aiming to have a um, an, either an assistance or some kind of logic of a kind of smartness um, being provided by the AI. Um, for Workera, that has been an embedded part since the day one of the company, because the company was made on a foundational assumption that using machine learning models, we can make efficient and engaging uh, upskilling and measurement. Um, and now with the latest advent and the latest, uh, what well, it's been a year of, uh, of uh, big uh, LLM developments, uh, we are just even further accelerating in that space. Yeah, spot on. And moving to that, the development of LLM over the last yeah. six to nine months, even over the last couple of days, that isn't really relatable to yeah. LLM <laughs> yeah. generally, but it's been a bonkers time. It's been a really bonkers time. So talk to us a little bit about how LLMs are actually used in the platform. Yeah, yeah. I just want to take a second to reflect on what you said. It was a bonkers time, and. If I look at, uh, so I joined Workera uh, a little bit more than uh, a year ago. And at that time, it felt like it was a, a horizon that we would get to in three to five years. So the way that we were thinking about our platform was also, and the business uh, proposition that we wanted to have was, was not leaning onto that that much. And then now it's a completely different change. It's as if the landscape has completely changed. Okay, just, just unpacking that. So you've joined within the last 12 months. Really, yeah. the impact of LLMs has taken place. I don't know the specific timeline. Let's just say nine months for argument's sake. So how have you seen a business shift and pivot then to using LLMs really quite quickly and introduce that into their product offering? Yeah. Um, what I've seen is that the... LLM start to be used as a um, as a power power tool. I would say as a as a, your co-pilot, as the thing that is going to auto-complete your work, give suggestions, and really be, make you a power user. Um, that enables the business to scale and also Workera to scale. For example, uh, for the assessments that I was mentioning before, it would have taken us uh, three to three months to develop one. Uh, now that gets that. For the ones that are really uh, that we are really thorough about, it gets to I don't know order of a week or two, um, but because of all the review process. But actually, our tooling it allows us to do within tens of minutes. Uh, so it just gets on the orders of magnitude that you can. Uh, it it brings down the orders of magnitude in the speed that you can deliver value to the customer, and that also allowed us to become more self-serving uh, instead of us guiding the the user on how to build these things the AI starts to guide the user um, so that actually our business can scale. 
So that was a very uh, interesting shift that the, the AI allowed us to do and the large language models because we became so accessible, because now there's a public API from this or that provider that you can just start using and incorporating in your, uh, in your platform. We use it for uh, sometimes uh, to summarize complex content. Uh, we use it to personalize, uh, to pers personalize, sorry, wrong uh, accent, personalize the, um, uh, a certain uh, upskilling experience. Um, we use it to give uh, managers, for example, a draft of an assessment or like to generate questions, to generate uh, domains, to generate a lot of things that people would need because it does take less time to review and to curate than to create something from scratch. And if we can cut down that cycle time to actually provide you a good first draft and then give you suggestion to guide you with UI, then uh, with, um, with AI, then that's what we, uh, that's what we aim for. That was what we do. The cycle times and the time to actually build something is ridiculously phenomenal. You know, if you're talking about three to six months, all the way down to a week slash tens of minutes, that is nuts yeah. to just go and build something that quick. And that it, has it, such an impact on the business. Yeah. And and it changed the. I think it profoundly changed the whole uh, business at Forkera because. Not only from internal efficiency point of view, but also what our product offering is and how do we market it, how do we position it. What it used to be our, yeah. I would say, consultancy service, now it becomes an open box that using AI, you can get pretty much to the standard that we are, uh, we are also keeping. Yeah, that's why I was so intrigued. Like, as in, in the last 12 months since you joined, you must have really seen two businesses, really, yeah. like... To yeah, there is a pivot yeah. that quickly and start selling yourself, start offering something really quite different because the time to market and speed to build something is phenomenal. Um, we could talk about this all day. I, I really want to try and yeah, understand yeah. how LLMs are actually used in, in the platform. I know we touched on yeah. um, the assessment part and the speed of delivery, but it'd be good to just break that down. Yeah. Um, and then also touch on how different it is to building traditional software. Yeah, we yeah. spoke about the times, but I'd be really keen to understand how different it really is. Um, okay, so first, where um, where the LLMs are used? Um, the, we are using large language models to generate domains or therefore assessments how are we using most prominently we are using large language model to large language models to generate the um, assessments or we call them domains uh, for for managers to allow them to create something for their learners and that can be for example you as engineers you might have a uh, you might want to assess yourself on interviewing skills just saying or on setting up, uh, yeah, or account, uh, for example, account management, if that is a thing, whatever it may be. Um, a large language model would then generate you an ontology of all the skills. So a breakdown of how does interviewing skill, skills break down into setting it up, interviewing, debriefing, whatever it may be, and then breaking it down to 30, 50, 70, whatever you want, however, you, however many you want uh, skills. After that, the large, what do we do? We ask the, the, the model, okay, first of all, tell us what it means to be a beginner in this and tell us what it means to be an accomplished person. And that you can also check. Um, you can uh, then uh, generate uh, questions for each of these skills that would be used to assess. 
um, because you can also tell to a large language model, okay, down, generate a question that is uh, assessing, um, asking tough questions, um, for example, and the, the large language model describes the situation and it allows you to pick between, a, it's basically a multiple choice uh, question, allows you to, to pick um, uh, the right uh, answer or well, it also suggests the right answer. Um, also, what the large language model does is for each of these skills, it gives you a quick lesson. Now, uh, our, I think our society is such that we want a rapid thing. We want, we want a to the point thing. We don't spend too much time. We give you a quick lesson that takes a, a few minutes to read that to kind of get you into this, um, this uh, skill to this particular sub top, uh, subject topic and also gives you a few reference points what to look uh, for further like what you what are the other references that you um, that you can read about um, large language models are then also used uh, for personalization on the learners was, what I was talking about was more on the manager side is you're setting up things but on the learner side also to personalize the content and to figure out as well how uh, in what order you should be learning things um, there we are using a combination between large language models and our own in-house models uh, this, I think, is giving you sort of a, an idea of how things are, are, are done. So a lot of, I would say, content, uh, and that's where we've seen a lot, large movement with the large language models, but what it really becomes easy is to create content. Uh, so that's one, like, and especially for a learning platform, that becomes uh, uh, relevant. Sometimes we've seen also large language models being used as the, the thinking engine. Um, so instead of you... Um, Think now. I'm gonna make it really, uh, really, really dumb. Uh, but if you, instead of you making a, a, a sum of, of three numbers, you can ask a large language model to do a sum of three numbers. Now we're not doing that, but we are doing some kind of more um, a simpler thing. Well, simpler for a large language model. Sometimes you have a piece of text and you want to extract some key concepts from that. Let's say that you add a prompt and so say, "Okay, please generate a domain for interviewing skills for podcast." Uh, targeted at uh, an experienced digital marketer, for example. And we use the large language model to pick out concepts from that and in there for uh, also create better things. So we use it as a content creation. We use it, uh, I would say, as kind of a classification tool to, for, or an extraction tool. Um, and also we use it as a, a summarizing engine. Um, in a sense, uh, large language models become very, they sort of are becoming your black box that you can ask anything about um, for any kind of business rules. And then it's up to you to choose how much, um, how much control you want to, over, to, give, to have over this process. And that's where the, the, the differences in working with a large language model uh, start to be visible. Now, this was the second part of what, what you were asking. Um, from from experience for us uh, oh sorry go on you want to ask something no no i was going to say i can really see the value of the speed the accuracy the personalization for using the models especially in your platform and your domain i can really see that and the yeah. value it brings yeah because um uh, imagine that if it, if it would take us, just thinking of it from business perspective, if it would take you to create one domain for a bunch of humans uh, with, for uh, three months, uh, and now it takes a week, but still with some human intervention in the loop, um, 
people are uh, sometimes skeptical about uh, large language models not always being uh, precise. If you say, okay, humans are also not per perfectly precise, uh, a large language model might give me content that is 80% all the correct. Human might give 95, but if human gives one piece, one assessment within three months, like there's a, there's a trade-off that uh, I think now is tipping over to the large language model that it feels very uh, cost efficient or a good return investment to use that as a starting point and then you refine it together with uh, the large language model or by yourself. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so how are large language models different to traditional software or algorithms that you've been involved in building? Yeah, um, I think if I tell a bit of a tale of a back-end engineer integrating with a large language model, it, it, uh, it, ex it explains it a bit. Um, usually, if you have an API as a back-end engineer, um, you would have a very uh, defined uh, API. Uh, good uh, defined uh, uh, semantic and, and, and syntactic uh, interface. So you would know how to call it. You would know what kind of response to expect back. And you uh, that's about uh, syntax. But also you would have some certain expectation about the quality of data that's coming in and coming out. Because the systems were, oh, uh, speaking about typical um, uh, APIs, um, the systems would, be, systems would be kind of deterministic. And what we're dealing here now is more of a fuzzy interface. And it's fuzzy in, in both ways of the quality of data that is coming back, but sometimes also the form that is taking back. Um, and it starts to remind me more of um, like the skills that I see uh, affect for, for people that are working with prompts. Uh, the skills that are effective are similar skills that I think performance monitoring or performance tuning in systems is, uh, is requiring. And that is being able, to, for example, to be able to run experiments. Um, you can't trust an LLM just on the first result that you get. You need to try out variations. You need to try out different angles and see what is giving you sustainably the, the best result. So it's not. It also depends on how we how we tune it. We tune uh, the large language models with some level of temperature, as it said. Uh, so some kind of variability, because you don't want always the same uh, content coming back. Um, and in there, uh, it, you, you actually see that it's um, that you need, as an engineer, to find the right cutoff point where it pays off. Um, where, what kind of, it will never be a hundred percent response always. There will always need to be some sort of margin for uncertainty of what we're going to get back from a large language model. So. Um, that's a bit of a different nature. I see that uh, an engineer coming in and say, okay, I did it, you know, it's done, and I don't need to look at it anymore uh, because the API works as an API, integrated it, the contract is that done. But with large language models, you kind of have a moving target and you need to monitor it. You need to, uh, so that's why I kind of related a bit more with performance. You need to monitor it. You need to uh, see if there is a drift in the model itself. Those models also change and evolve over time. Um, and whether on all the use cases that you want that is behaving as, as you want. So observability of the large language models, it also becomes a very interesting thing, not from like whether the service is up and running, but, but like what the quality of data that's coming back. So every now, one of the patterns is that every time that you um, integrate with the large language models for every interaction, you start to ask for user feedback. 
just so that you know like okay can i can i improve it can i not improve it in what way would you like me to improve it and then learn from yeah. that okay so in an evolving landscape with introduction of large language models what do you think are the top three skills attributes characteristics that an engineer needs to have to to thrive or be high performing yeah. in this landscape yeah yeah i i think uh so let's say extrapolate let's say that the, the landscape will be as uh, evolving as it is in as it was in the last year i don't think that we have uh, signs of uh, stopping so I, I think it's going to continue like that for you know a, a year or two whatever um I think so. One thing that I value a lot is uh, experimentation and being able to run experiments and to make a data-driven decision um, based on how, like, just we're having. I will, I will give you a concrete example. We're having a new um, usage of LLM to um, to generate a question. Now, what makes a good question? It's for what is for you a good question. It's different from me, so it's about setting up a criteria up front, like okay, what makes a good question, and then trying out different angles, different prompts, and then being able to conduct an experiment and then to make conclusions based on the experiment, because it is really going to be more of a an experiment than just we make the two things work and that's it. Um, so experimentation is one. I think um, the ability to uh, integrate with new, like, say to integrate, but to embrace new technologies is also another one, and that's also what we're uh, expecting from every engineer on on our on our end, um, because the tech, the landscape is moving quite a lot. So people that are successful are the ones that can pick out, um, uh, that can track how the industry is going as well, because that can really give the a, a competitive advantage to to a company that you're working at. Um, and for the third one, um, I'm, I'm going to flip it a bit. So all the that that last part, the second part, was for me also covering like techno, like what libraries are there, what models are there, and so on. Um, and the third one, what I see is that uh, since uh, the access to this kind of a magical rule engine or like the the, the big brain of large language models is very. Uh, um, it's very, it's very, uh, yeah. Basically, that's very accessible. Um, being able to work cross-functionally with your team, with your teammates that are more of a domain expert, that becomes really important because with you, with you, you as an engineer, uh, working on integration and with them steering a bit, uh, what is the right thing for the platform product that you're making, it can really open you up because. Um, the, the, just the barrier to, from a domain experts or products mind to realizing that the, that to implementing that piece of technology, it's, it's much lower because we have this big large language models that we can just query for 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 knowledge. So those would be like the, the three things. Yeah, there's of course like. Uh, uh, understanding the, the the technical parts underneath, understanding the APIs, but I feel like that's already a table stakes for any kind of an engineer nowadays. No, of course. I, I think a question I'd love to ask to really try and understand the impact of AI, it's quite clear to see how impactful 
AI has been from a technological standpoint. But when you're actually thinking about scaling a business, do you think there's been any impacts that AI or large language models have had on the, the people scalability of businesses? What do, you, what do you mean by the people scalability, just to understand that a bit better? Uh, as in, so typical challenges that we see on engineers are around technology, how do people solve them? But as in thinking about the growth of people, have you seen AI been able to actually grow business? It's quite hard to actually explain what I'm thinking here, but as in, has AI been able to aid actually the growth of business, not just from a technology standpoint? Um, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, it's a part of, it, okay. AI is now a part of the platform, but AI at the same time is also allowing every person to become more efficient and to find knowledge faster. So the same way that uh, Google, like if I compare to my dad and my dad likes to look at the encyclopedias and his uh, technical textbooks and he all the time spent like an hour finding a piece. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, I would tell that, hey, dad, I can Google. Poof. Amazing productivity gain. Now, that's another jump that we're making now. Um, we, we are extracting knowledge with a much more effective way and it allows people to be more of uh, thinkers and less of searchers for information and less of aggregators, summarizers of information. And I think allows us to do what we always felt that it's being the most uh, effective, not, not effective, but most engaging part to do. Um, there are there are there are always early adopters and there are always late, late adopters. I forgot what's the curve, but there is a curve that explains all that and the chasm and all that. Um, but the, the, there are people who are still wary of, of AI and uh, how does it know, how, how should I trust it? And that's, I think, the challenge of uh, builders of AI platforms like ourselves. How can we make ourselves trustworthy knowing that there is a black box in the background that is giving answers? Like how can we ensure that our customers trust us and that they still feel like in the control? Because one of the things that, challenges that we're also having, and it's, Speaking of people aspect, because um, that people still like to be in control. In, in like, if I'm a manager and I'm giving you as my uh, engineer, my team, uh, uh, an assessment, I, I want to know what are you being assessed on, and not just you know AI do it. Um, I want to still feel like I'm in sense of control. Maybe that's a part of still our early adoption of AI that we still want to um, feel that we are in control or be in control. And over time, we will accept that, okay, AI, for this part, you are in control. Um, but yeah, for now, I see that the successful product, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, if, for, for engineers uh, talking about uh, co-pilots, and some of them are really passionate about it and effective, and some of them are like, no, I, like it's, I'm still better than it. I'm still smarter than it. And uh, that kind of re causes them not to embrace things fully. Um, the, the technologies that are coming or the, the power tools that are coming in. So I think that was yeah, the aspect, for sure. effect okay. of, of, uh, of people. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, I bet. No, 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 it's cool. Uh, one thing you particularly wanted to focus on is the shape up methodology versus yeah. Scrum. So would you like to set the scene on that and 
maybe how Workera used that or their thoughts towards it and help the audience understand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are, uh, to explain more from an engineering perspective for, uh, for Workera, we are a um, uh, full remote company um, and we aim to have high ownership of, from the engineer's point of view of what you're doing. Actually, we always say we're hiring product engineers. So when you're designing a full product, uh, when, when you're engineering, you're not just producing code, you're engineering problems and engineering solutions. You're simplifying problems and simplifying solutions. Um, so ShapeUp is a methodology that uh, allowed us to emphasize that ownership and to give people the freedom to solve problems um, and stimulate that over some other things. Now, for me, I um, also have quite a lot of experience in, in using Scrum, uh, actually also sometimes in, in Waterfall back in the day, a long time ago. Um, I think for every team or for every industry, there is a place and time for any of this. You could find an effective, uh, the most effective approach is to use Scrum or the most effective approach is to use uh, shape of it depends on different on different on, on different moments in time that you are. Um, shape up is um, a software methodology that allow that uh, basically says well let's have six week build cycles, and build cycles are dedicated for small teams of two to three people that are working together for six weeks to solve a business problem. Uh, at the end of these six six week cycles, there is a two week cooldown cycle. And that's uh, kind of like if you're running, you're basically running intervals, right? You, you run you, and then you take a, you, you, you chill out for a bit and you say, okay, for two weeks, what we're going to do is not focus on the big initiatives. We're going to focus on the small polish. We're going to focus on personal learning. We're going to focus on uh, tying up loose ends, uh, cleaning up technical depth, whatever we feel that we, the, the corners that we had, uh, those that we cut that uh, we need to polish off. So it works in this tempo of six to six to six weeks of uh, intense build time and then two weeks of cooldown time. Um, what is also interesting is that uh, when we are planning out the, a cycle, so the six weeks, we don't have really a concrete solution in mind yet. There are a few options, but there is not one committed solution to do. Um, it's not like there is a design document to do and you need to fill in a certain uh, design of course there are always constraints in the system that's fine but like how people are implementing and even to what level do they solve the problem um, it's it's up to them to give a simple example um, in a platform uh, you might have a manager who wants to send a nudge a reminder to uh, an employee hey please go and uh, revisit this uh, learning that i gave to you that can be as simple as sending out an email but that can be as complicated as uh, in like in-app notifications, uh, different filtering options, whatever. And all of this uh, scoping and creating a solution is done within the six, six weeks by engineers, driven by engineers. Um, so that's what uh, that's I think somewhat of a difference in to pre in the preparedness of the solution that is given to the engineers before we start working on things. Usually in Scrum you would prepare it a bit more. Now, good teams in Scrum I think do it also themselves. They prepare work. Some that are not so uh, that haven't grown yet so much might have other people preparing work for them. 
So um, in that sense, um, ShapeUp stimulates and expects from people to own the problem and therefore provide a solution within a certain uh, time frame. And then there is we also what what is also interesting is that we don't have uh, long term. Well, we don't we don't estimate the effort for a certain uh, pitch or well product uh, uh, project, uh, but we say appetite. So how much am I willing to invest versus how much is going to cost? Because usually there is always a solution that you can do. Uh, and if you give people uh, nine months to work on a problem, they're going to work it for nine months and they're going to gold plate it. So you should, we as business, then we say, we want to invest three weeks in this or we want to invest six weeks in this. Uh, and that also shapes the scale that you, uh, that you, that you solve the problem to. Um, so interesting methodology, and it's got some similarities between mob programming. Um, yeah, well, in a sense, but mob programming is 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 more of a well, yeah, it's like doing a solving a problem together, uh, jumping on together on a solution. Um, we what we do also optimize for in, in ShapeUp is very small teams. Uh, of two to three pe people because of a remote setting to cut the communication lines because if you keep, need to keep more and more people uh, involved um, that becomes uh, hard um, so most of the teams that we have are basically two or three people plus the support them from a product designer or product manager or myself as an engineering manager sometimes and getting that done in a focused way um, from from week one to week six yeah nice Lastly, we always touch on hiring and I want to explore, obviously you're fully remote, like you mentioned, I want to explore for people listening, uh, what you're looking to introduce into the business from a talent perspective over the next 12 months, bearing in mind last 12 months was no doubt crazy time for you. What do you think the next 12 months might bring in terms of hiring people into the business? Yeah, um, I think that what we are looking forward to in the next uh, 12 months is especially growing our uh, go-to-market uh, space. Uh, I think we have a solid engineering team that is also growing in, in Europe. Um, in the engineering product side, we are still expecting um, people like some of the, the, the roles that we'll be have is product manager, um, an engineering manager also in the future, but not only that, also engineers like Elixir engineers because we're uh, Elixir uh, based, uh, we have an Elixir based tech stack um, and um, also front end engineers. Um, I, I do see that at the moment that we are now, uh, we have been very technology oriented company, uh, product oriented company, which is also good. Um, and we basically are expecting a, a growth next year, a boom next year. Um, using the, all the developments that we have made uh, to actually roll out the platform and, uh, and uh, uh, spread out the, the usage. We already have um, a couple of dozen of clients, but uh, we feel like the ceiling is much, much higher. So It's been an absolute pleasure having you to come join us. 45 minutes has flown by and it's been really interesting to see the evolution of the business over the last 12 months, your introduction as well. Um, and everything that's gone on in the LLM space. So 
I, I massively appreciate that. It's going to be an exciting time seeing what happens in the next 12 months for you guys and girls. And from everyone at Engineers, you know, we're going to be following that progress. And obviously, best of luck. For people listening, it's your usual likes, shares, subscribe, share this with people. Your business could introduce this product. Opportunities are endless. So, Mattia, thanks for coming to join us. Massively appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Elliot. I enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.